Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoyed the message. We're continuing the sermon series, like Austin said, through the book of Genesis, and we're just calling it Genesis, uh, the bigger story. And why Genesis? Well, because at the very heart of this story, it's all about God, a God who's rich in history, uh, has this rich history of stepping into the unlivable chaos and bringing order and beauty so that life can actually flourish, that he makes gardens out of chaos, and then he invites you and I to co-labor with him to do the same. And that understanding Genesis helps us understand the rest of the story here. So what we've been trying to do is to reframe and retell the story of the gospel in a new and fresh way for our community and really for our church here, the world. Because we have a tendency, like we've said this the last few weeks, we have this tendency to shrink the gospel and we have, like, we shrink it down. And the gospel is a really, really huge story. It's a really big story. But I think, sadly, many of us have been taught a smaller, shrunken down, maybe even skewed version of the gospel. And therefore, we live in a smaller version of the story that causes us to live out a distorted spiritual journey. And we've talked about this. When, when something gets shrunken down, it gets distorted. It gets skewed. And it doesn't fit anymore. So what do you do when that, that sweater that you love shrinks down and doesn't fit you and shows your midriff? You really have, you have two options. You either throw it away or you give it away. And that's what we're watching so many people in the church do. Is that they've, they've been sold this shrunken view of the gospel and so all of a sudden they get to a point in their life where it doesn't seem to fit anymore, so they just toss it. And what we're asking is, is it possible that the story is a lot bigger than we thought? And so in this story, or sorry, in this series, we, our desire is to explore and to begin to live into and trust the bigger story that God is writing, okay? And so we, we've said this each week, that the story, uh, it, it, it has this, this prologue. And we see in the prologue that this story is all about God. It's his story, and it's huge, and it includes everything and should affect everything that we do and everything that we are. And the story begins in the beginning, where God made a good world, where humanity and the entire creation could actually flourish. But pretty quickly, the plot thickens. And humanity thinks that we have a better idea of how things should go down here on earth. And the whole thing just falls apart, which creates a need for the hero. And the creator chooses humanity, a a human family through which he'll enter humanity himself to accomplish the rescue mission. And in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the creator rescues the entire creation and then begins to restore it. And the final scene, the scene that you and I are in now, is a scene of a new beginning. 
where the Creator is renewing human beings through grace, through the work of His Holy Spirit, to begin to restore His creation until the ultimate restoration when Jesus returns. It's a really big story, church. It's a really big story. So the last two weeks, and what we've talked about, how we have this tendency to come to the Bible with our cultural bias or our cultural assumptions. And we forget that this is a library of books that was written to an ancient Eastern people and culture. And so we, we have a tendency to approach the Bible like it's a Western history book or a Western science book. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't answer the questions that it's not interested in answering. And so we talked about the first or the last week that as Westerners, that we have this tendency to ask the questions how and when. How did this happen? How did it come about? When did it happen? Was it 7,000 years ago? Was it 7 billion years ago? And in the Bible, once again, it's not interested in answering these questions. Instead, it's written through an Eastern mindset which prefers answering the questions who and why. So when we look at Genesis, this narrative here isn't concerned about the how and the when. It's trying to answer fundamental basic questions like, Who are we? Where are we? What's the nature of this universe? Who's responsible for all of this? What's this whole thing about? Now, Lashad, thank you for this resource. Uh, But we've been reading through uh, a lot of John Walton. uh, Just made a brilliant mind. And he used a a perfect illustration I think is so helpful. And he he talked about the differences between a house and a home. Okay? And the question being is, is Genesis a house story or is it a home story? So when you think about building a house, um, it, it's all about the material stuff, the foundation, the framing, plumbing, electricity, heating, air condition, all, all the material stuff. And when a family goes into a house looking for a new house, you've got maybe two different types of people. You've got the people who immediately look for, make sure uh, the foundation doesn't have any cracks in it. You want to make sure, like, how, how old is the plumbing? Is it going to break down on us as soon as we, we, we buy it? And then you've got maybe people more like me, that I, I step into a house or, you know, this, this new potential home, and immediately I want to go, is it an open floor plan? Can we, can we host house church here? Can we have parties? Where would we put the furniture? Where's the TV going to go? So there's, there's these two different ways of evaluating a house. And if you think about a house that's built, totally finished, constructed, but it doesn't, just because it's a house and it's built, doesn't mean it's a home. It doesn't become a home until people begin to step into it and begin to live out stories. So I'm going to show you this in, in, the, in the Western mindset versus the Eastern mindset. In our modern culture, the Western mindset, we think of creation as God building the house. We have a house mindset, a house story, okay? And so this, this cosmic house, this the material universe, that's how our mind naturally works. It's a house story about God building the house. So, of course, we're interested in questions like how 
and when. So in this sense, science provides the plot for the house story. How did the cosmos come to be? How did the universe come into existence? It's a house story, and science is very well positioned uh, to provide the plot. And the house is, is what you live in. And what you're interested in the house we live in, it's the world around us. Okay, so are you tracking here? The Western mindset sees it as a house story. Okay, but that's only one kind of origin story. Okay, there, there's also in the Eastern mindset, it's a home story. It's a home story. And the home story is very different than the house story. In the home story, we think of creation as making a home for whom? For whom? Well, we're going to find that out next week, a little bit later in the story. Okay? Now, in the home story, it's not science, but it's actually theology that provides the plot. It's not science anymore. And this is a plot for the home story that we have throughout the scriptures, throughout the narrative of the Bible. And in the home story, what we see is, is where our story gets to actually come to life. So, I want to suggest, or maybe even submit to you, that this is not a house story. It's a home story. And that maybe we've been looking at it from the wrong angle. And maybe today, God would begin to shift a little bit our, our mindset. Today that we would see that we're actually invited into a beautiful rhythm of life that has been set and woven into the fabric of creation and then is echoed throughout the entire story. Okay? And so, today, I'm really excited. And I think uh, that we're gonna, our minds are going to be blown. Okay, and if your mind's not blown, maybe you weren't listening. Um, or maybe you're, you have an Eastern mindset and you already knew all of this. Okay, either way, it's going to be great. Okay, so here we go. I want you to see something uh, on page one of your Bibles. Okay, and I want you to go uh, to uh, verse five of, of the scripture. And I'm just going to kind of read this. And I want you to notice... If anything stands out or maybe feels odd. Okay, ready? Verse 5. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was an evening, and there was a morning one day. Anything stand out? Well, if not, let's keep going. We'll go. Uh, Go down to verse 8. Okay? God called the expanse sky. Evening came, and then morning, the second day. Sounds kind of repetitive. So there's this this thing that should kind of not sit well, feels a little off. Let's go to uh, verse 13. Evening came, and then morning, the third day. Uh, You could jump down to verse 19. Evening came, and then morning, on the fourth day. Are you, are you see, I don't, I don't need to belabor this. We don't have, I mean, 23, if you want to see that, and then you've also got uh, 31, okay? W- what are you noticing? What, what's standing out to you? What's grabbing your attention? Okay, oh, say it, try again. Okay, evening and morning. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a little odd. 
Why is that odd? Well, let me, let me ask you this way. Here we see the day starting in the evening, and then there's morning. When does your day start? When your alarm goes off. When the sun rises. So here in the Western world, this should be morning and then evening. It's backwards. Why? Because in the ancient Near Eastern mindset to the Hebrews, your day doesn't start in the morning. It starts in the evening when the sun sets. Now, I want to just pause here. I want you to think about the implications of this. In this time frame, most people's jobs, they're agricultural. You, you work the ground. You've got crops. Maybe you, you're a farmer. And you, or maybe you've got sheep or cattle. Now, they didn't have electric, artificial sunlight like we do. So when the sun sets, what do you do? You stop. You rest. Then when the sun rises, you get to work. Because it's only when the sun's up in the sky that you can work. So I want you to watch this. From page one of scripture, God is putting a rhythm like into circuit that you and I as people should start from a place of rest and then step into what he's calling us to do. Okay, to we are called to work from rest not rest from work, okay? Now, here, it's, 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 it seems subtle, but the majority of us in this room, the second one is true of us. We rest from work. Like we go hard all week. We're exhausted and we use language like I just, I just can't wait till we get into the weekend or thank God it's hump day. Like we're almost there and we just like slide into home plate, you know, Friday afternoon and then we just like need to just decompress, to veg out, to cope with the stress of the work week. Like you even think about, okay, do you guys remember, oh, this is going to date myself, uh, old school like band Loverboy, do you guys remember this? They had this song, Working for the Weekend, that's in like almost every 90s and 80s movie, Zoolander, you know what I'm talking about, okay? I'm not going to sing it, you can look it up on Spotify on your way uh, home and you'll immediately go, I know this song. Um, but this is, this is the heartbeat for many of us. We work for the weekends. We're living for the weekends. Okay. The question is, what if there's a better way of life? What if there's a better story that we're invited into from page one of the scripture? That God actually invites us to rest. And then from a place filled up that we can actually step into what he's called us to. Now, ah, uh, man, this is going to, I'm hoping that you can track with me here. Um, I'm going to just sidebar. Uh, we talked a little bit about this last week. And so uh, I really do encourage you. We don't ever do this. If you haven't been tracking along, you should definitely go. Uh, back and listen to the podcast of these Genesis. The reason is because it's like literally like an episode. It's a story. 
And so you're getting episode three today, and uh, if you don't know what happened to the other two episodes, it could be, be a little confusing, but we're going to try to give you the recap. So last week, this is going to blow your minds. Uh, whew, I'm pumped. Okay, I told you guys last week um, about, uh, if I have it in the, my notes, I hope I do, I don't think I did. Okay, we talked about how the days of creation, uh, that they mirror each other. We talked about in day one, it corresponds with day four. Day two corresponds with day five. Day three corresponds with day six. So in days one through three, God's separating. He's creating order, the realm of time. He creates the realm of the sky and the sea, and then he creates the realm of lands. And then in days four, five, and six, he goes back and he begins to fill those three things. He fills the, sky, like the, the light and the dark. He fills those spaces at time with the sun and the stars and the moon. And then he fills the sky and the seas with birds and fish. And then he fills the land with animals and man. So it mirrors. And we talked about it. It's meant to. It's this wild poetry that they called, uh, it's been referred to as literary origami, okay? Or cosmic poetry, that it folds in on itself, okay? So we kind of got to that, and then we just left you hanging, okay? Sorry about that. But this is all throughout the scripture, and it's really, really evident in Genesis, okay? And just, oh my gosh, when I first heard this, I thought it was like, I was like, that's not real. That's not real. There's no way this is real. Uh, You're going to see in the weeks to come, it is very, very real and very, very intentional. So this is kind of the simplified version. A chiasm, this chiasmic poetry, usually kind of goes in a rhythm. You think like music, and there's two different ways. There's the A, B, C, D, and then it inverts B, C, B, A. Or we talked about last week, we see this A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D. So it can kind of be like a diamond or it can be kind of like a cross. And once again, it folds in on itself. Now, Genesis 1 is not a great place to start. It's where God starts. That's where we're going to start. And the reason is, is because this is really complicated. Because Genesis 1 is actually simultaneously both types of chiasms. Like this is, once again, when you start to see that the scripture, Genesis 1, is not a science lab report, but it's this beautiful piece of poetry that's writing and showing us how to live into a bigger story. This gets wild. Okay, so uh, I want you to see this. I hope you can kind of grab it. Oh, I did have it in the notes. It was hidden. Uh, There it is. So here's what's really cool. I'm going to show this to you. It's a double chiasm, but inside of the chiasm, why is that important? Because in every chiasm that we see, you're going to notice that right in the center of it, there's a treasure. There's something that every Hebrew mindset is going, okay, that's the point. That's the focus. That's what should be highlighted. That's what we should zero in. Every chiasm has a bookend, okay? Now, oh man. Uh, as you look, if you can just see this on the page, uh, and this is why we want you to have the copy of Scripture, we talked about how the chiasm last week is it has the ABC, ABC. One corresponding with four, two corresponding with five, three corresponding with six. Now it also does the ABC, or yeah, it's ABC, CBA, there's not a fourth one. Um, and the way it does it here is you can see it in your, in your Bible when you're looking at it, is day one is a baby paragraph. Day two, you notice, is a mommy paragraph. Day three, 
It's a daddy paragraph. And this is way easier to see in the Hebrew, okay? Well, guess what? It, mirror, it flips, and you've got day four as a daddy paragraph. Day five is a mommy paragraph. And day six would be a baby paragraph, except there's a focus on what God is creating that the Hebrews would have noticed stood out. The creation of man. Okay, so as we look at this with both sides, if you zero in on the treasure, and once again, oh my gosh, please, please, please go with me. This is not numerology where if you add a certain numbers up and then it pieces this and then all of a sudden we figure out what day Jesus comes back. No, this is, you talk to any, any, any Jewish person. This is, this is common knowledge in the Eastern mindset, okay? Because it does kind of feel that way. I'm aware of it. Let me just call it out, okay? Watch this. If you zero in, you could probably guess seven days. So what's probably what day's in the middle of that? It would be four. Okay, right in the middle of that, you break down. And the word that you find in the Hebrew that finds itself right in the center of the chiasm, both ways, is this word right here, Moab. Moab, you see it uh, in verse 14. It's the word that we translate as seasons. Fun fact. Seasons is one of four words that the Hebrews use for the word Sabbath, Shabbat, rest, okay? Now, why? This is really huge. I want you to see this. We just read in Genesis chapter 2. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were complete. On the seventh day, God completed his work that he had done, and he rested. Shabbat. Same, same concept. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done, God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he, Shabbat, rested from all his work of creation. The word Shabbat, we translate to our word Sabbath, which literally means to stop. To cease. Now this is very, we choose some common English connection. The opposite of the word rest is the word unrest. Okay, watch this. This is crazy. Rest resolves the tension of the unrest, the unorder, the chaos, the darkness that existed in Genesis 1-2. That God is taking this, this unlivable chaos, this wild oasis, and then all of a sudden here in Genesis, or Genesis chapter 2, he's going back and he's saying, no, no, no. All of that that was unrest, now there's rest. Rest resolves this tension. It means everything is ordered. That rest doesn't mean naps or vacation or vegging out on a couch or watching Netflix or playing video games. Rest isn't just about relaxation. Rest is about stopping, ceasing, trusting the story, and trusting the author of the story. It's about our souls being still and not striving for more. And in a world that is all about striving for success, all about making a name for yourself. What God is doing is he is asking us to stop and trust the story. 
He's communicating that he is the author, that he's the master of time. And the seventh day is, is a way to renounce the human autonomy and embrace God's dominion. It's a releasing of control and trusting that God is ultimately in control. Just pause and think about it for a second. Why is it that you cannot stop? Why is it that we live in a culture that says just keep going? Don't stop. Don't unplug. Don't turn off the phone or the devices. Why? Because you've been told a lie that you're in control. And that if you unplug, this world will fall apart. It, we laugh, and it kind of because it stings a little bit. Th that's why you can't stop. Because you think that you are God. And Sabbath, stopping, ceasing to strive, is a reminder that you're not the one in control. And when you turn it off, when you shut, on, shut down the emails, guess what? The world keeps going. But, mm, even though we know that to be true, it attacks our pride and our self-sovereignty. Do you see? This is a much bigger deal than just taking a day off. Now, fun fact uh, well, I'll say this. This is really cool. Um, the Sabbath, and for my musician friends in here, is a lot like a metronome that puts our hearts on beat with the unforced rhythms of grace. Instead of striving or fighting to produce more or be more, it's a learning to walk in rhythm with his grace and in his story. Now notice that the seventh day, the rest, the day of rest, it doesn't have a refrain at the end of it. There's no evening and morning like the previous six days. Why? Because for the rest of the story, like the entire Bible, this Sabbath rest is going to be extended to you and I, and God is going to ask us to trust the story, and we're going to see it echoed throughout the entire scripture. Okay? So I'll give you just a few quick examples. Oh, this is so fun. Okay. Do you guys remember uh, the Ten Commandments? Even if you're like not church, you probably have heard the Ten Commandments. Okay, the Big Ten. Okay. Now in that, uh, you've got some heavy stuff. Right in the middle of it, um, there's this one about remembering the Sabbath. Like right up there with like don't kill people and don't sleep with your neighbor's spouse, there's stop for a day. It is interesting to think about that out of the other nine, we don't consider those at all suggestions. Those are not recommended. We don't go, well, you know what, listen, like the whole murder thing, like optional, uh, unless I get really angry, right? Like those sleeping with my neighbor's spouse, I mean, unless. No, 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 we, we know those. But how funny, the one that we choose, like, oh, the rest thing, eh, if I don't have a lot going on this week. You know, if I can manage it into the calendar, if I can fit it in. All the other ones are not optional, but this one we'd think so. Now, uh, gosh, I'm going to probably lose you uh, with this one, but I'm just going to go ahead and show it anyway. This is fun fact. This one's extra. You didn't pay for this one. Um, 
If you look at uh, Exodus 28, 11, you don't have to do that, I'm going to pop it up here. Um, it's a giant chiasm. Uh, surprise. Uh, you see this with the A, B, C, D, and then C, B, A. Uh, you, see, you can see, look at A, it matches the A at the bottom, the Sabbath day, holy. Six days, matches six days here. Do all the work. Okay, do any work. Nine, that's the treasure. What's the focal point? What would all the attention gone to? But the seventh day is a Sabbath. The seventh day is a day that we cease. Now, okay, this is cool. Think about it for a second. Where are the Israelites when they get that commandment, when they get the Ten Commandments? Does anybody you remember? They're at Mount Sinai. Okay, watch this. So they're in the desert. Where were they just a few weeks prior to this? Egypt. What's an Israelite's job when they're in Egypt? A slave. When does a slave work? Seven days a week, sun up to sun down. Listen, in Egypt, the Israelites were a part of a system that communicated that your worth, your value to society is 100% based on what you produce. How many bricks you can make. That's how valuable you are to Pharaoh. And if you, if you can't produce, if you stop producing, then, then we'll get rid of you. This is very historical. And listen, if, 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 if something happens to you and you're not there to protect your spouse or your kids, then what's Pharaoh going to do to your family? It gets really dark really, really quick. So your whole value is in what you do and what you produce. And so all of a sudden, as soon as God gets his people out of Israel, he makes this covenant. These are like wedding vows. He looks at them and he goes, not you. One day a week, you stop, you cease. Why? Because you're not a slave anymore. Like your value doesn't come in what you produce. Your value comes in, 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 in who I say you are. That you're no longer a slave to Egypt. You're you're a child. And one day a week, you stop, you cease, and you remember that you were loved and you were mine. So we're invited to trust the story, to live into this rhythm of ultimate rest. So this is a Sabbath. That for a long time, has been celebrated every week on the seventh day. But there's more, okay? Uh, the Sabbath is just one of seven festivals that God gave Israel that they're to practice every year, each one anticipating this ultimate seventh day of rest. It's a lot of sevens. The number seven, quickly, it just means wholeness or completeness, rest. And there's more. Watch this. Every seven years, the Israelites were commanded to liberate all slaves, forgive debts, and let the land rest for an entire year. So don't, no crops on the, even the field. Like, there's just this rest. And then watch this. This is really wild. You can see this. this is the, the fourth one is every seven times seven years, the Jewish culture would celebrate what they call the jubilee 
And if anyone had lost their land, if they had gone into debt, every single thing was forgiven. Everything restored. Everything back in order. Back to rest. So the Sabbath, these feasts, the year of Jubilee, it's all pointing to the ultimate rest, this future rest that's to come. Okay, keep going with me. Are you still tracking? Still tracking? Did I lose any of you? That's a lot. I know. This is where it's about to get really good. Okay, now watch this. Now, when the Israelites go into the promised land after Mount Sinai, uh, they pretty quickly forget God. Okay, and so they end up forfeiting their chance for rest in the promised land because the source of rest comes from God. So in the story, they get exiled, enslaved again to an oppressive nation like Egypt. And they're led back into a world of chaos and disorder. Sound familiar? It should. But the Israelite prophets would speak to them. And they would say that their exile is one day going to come to an end. And there's an ultimate jubilee of, of freedom and rest that's headed your way. But generation after generation, it goes by and they're still left waiting. And so when you see this, this gap between the, the Old Testament into the New Testament, man, the people of God are left in 400 years of silence, chaos, disorder, unrest. And it's at this dark point of the story that Jesus appears. And he launches his public ministry on what day? Any guesses? Sabbath. Okay, wait. He, he, he gets into a room like this. He reads from the scroll of Isaiah saying that it was time for all captives and all slaves to be released because this was the year of the Lord's favor. What's the year of the Lord's favor? He's talking about the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate future rest. So Jesus is claiming in this moment to be the seventh-day rest that would, that would come through him. This is why in Matthew 12 that he would say, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is starting to connect. Like this is weaved and echoes throughout the entire scripture. And just like Genesis 1-2, the chaos, unlivable chaos, Jesus confronts disorder, the chaos, and the darkness in all forms, liberating people from sickness and sin and death itself. And then Jesus is killed. And it feels like everything's undone. At least it seemed that way. Jesus timed his death to take place at the end of the week. His body rests rest in the tomb on Shabbat. It's on the eighth day that he rose from the dead. Wait, 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 wait. That should feel weird. Eighth day. What, what, what's the connection here? It's the first day of the next week. So Jesus' resurrection was like the first day of a new creation where God's light 
and his life break into the darkness. So because of the resurrection, we have hope in God's promises of future rest. But we're not there yet. We're still in the wilderness where we experience struggle and pain. But as we journey towards this ultimate seventh day, Jesus invites, feel this, he invites us to experience a taste of real rest by knowing him and following him. Or, in his words, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. You'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn to love this, the unforced rhythms of grace. And I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Throughout the history of the Sabbath practice, it's always been about one thing stopping ourselves one day a week to remind us that our time is not our own. The Sabbath should reflect this core ideal that the ultimate rule and reign of God has already been launched. And if God is restoring and renewing creation, church, what would it look like for us to participate in this with our entire lives? creating weekly rhythms of Sabbath. It reminds us of the story that we're a part of, that we get to be a part of. Because if we're really honest, it's easy to forget. It's really easy to forget. And so Sabbath is about creating a space for community, for hope. It reminds us of our identity, not as slaves in Egypt, but as children. And we get to unplug and reconnect with the Father, to know Him intimately, to trust and to enjoy Him. And the reason is because God's got some really cool stuff in store for us. Church, we get to partner with God to change the world. Like We get to be a part of an epic story of bringing about new beginnings and this new creation. But God goes, but first, we rest. Genesis 1, God creates mankind. And on the first day of his existence, God looks at Adam and says, we're going to stop. We're going to rest. Listen, God's not tired. He didn't run out of you know, cosmic creativity. He doesn't get tired. Adam's not tired. He hasn't done anything. He's just been given a massive assignment to co-labor with God, to help cultivate this garden, to change it into a garden city. I mean, name all the animals. Like, he's got a lot on his to-do list. Like, let's get started. And God goes, before we step into that, rest because you need to be reminded of who you are before you ever step into what you're going to be called to do we are human beings 
not human doing. And God reminds us of that. He's going to fill us up and going to send us out to change the world. But it's going to not come from our striving and trying to manufacture this. So, Jesus, in these next few moments, man, I, I pray that this landed. I pray that this makes sense. God, if there was anything that's confusing or man, all over the place, would you just refine it and tweak it and, and bring clarity? God, I pray that you, your word is, is coming to life to your people and that you are speaking to us and that we feel the invitation to trust this bigger story, to trust your finished work on the cross that we can rest in that, that we don't have to strive, we don't have to, man, jump through religious hoops to somehow earn your love. We get to just lean into it and to rest in it. God, forgive us for where we get this so backwards. But thank you for, for the invite, Jesus. But church, I, I want you to just take 120 seconds and to just wrestle with these two questions. We do this every week at the rim. God, what are you saying to me today? Th through your word, through your spirit, what are you, what are you whispering to me? Maybe, maybe journal it, write it down. What are you hearing him say? Then the second question is in tomorrow, how do you get to live? How do you get to live a little bit different tomorrow because of what Jesus is speaking to your heart? So God, what are you saying to me? And how do I get to live? Take a second, 120 seconds. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.